This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, a podcast about the various aspects of the tabletop role playing genre. I am always M. Kenneth Moffat, aka Southern DD. And with me is the man himself, James Can't Say Hive Master Bardwell. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, so, um, James, I we we have a problem. Okay. He's still here. What? The, the dark presence? The dark presence. I, I, did you not perform the cleansing ritual? I don't know the cleansing ritual. <sighs> Damn it. I have trouble washing clothes. <laughs> well, folks, I, I guess he is here to stay. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome to the podcast, should he wish... The one, the only, the Dark Lord himself, Brody Elder Fenris. Welcome, Brody. Thank you. I am. Once you invited me in, I'm here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would like to officially welcome uh, Brody to the podcast. The amazing Elder Fenris, the DM of Stagande, Scars of Midgard, the Woo-hoo. great role play uh, live play that is on YouTube uh, and Twitch. And Twitch as well. I think you have, is it seven episodes currently on there? Uh, seven episodes on Backlog and our, our YouTube channel, which you should go subscribe to us. Yes, go like, comment, subscribe. Bring the bell for notifications on uh, sagas, or Sagande sagas. But uh, I think we're going to throw it to you, James, to give today's topic. Today, uh, we're going to talk about something that I know is really near and dear to the hearts of most DMs. And we happen to have a couple of DMs here in the studio today, Gasp. who are prolific at world building. Dun, da, da, da. Where are they at? <laughs> it's you guys. Oh, I hope oh, you guys. oh, oh right. Yeah, it's y'all. It's you guys. <laughs> um, so uh, I've been asked a lot of questions about world building before, and I would just like to open up the discussion with you guys. When you go into world building, fresh blank canvas, uh, what is probably the most important thing or the first thought on your mind? Uh, well, First of all, world building is one of my favorite aspects of story building, uh, tabletop RPGs, anything of that nature. The first thing that I do is have a concept. What is the world? What is the world about? Um, from there, you can start laying down your concrete, your, your framework, and um, the rest kind of falls into place. There's many facets that I'm sure we're going to cover that involves this, but well, what's your concept? What's it about? So, what about you, Mike? When, like, when I when I first, because I have built and destroyed many worlds in my career as a DM. Like, some would work, and I don't, I don't like this. Some, yeah, that's fine. But my the final one I have the my my fate Terra. When I first began building it, I my my first thought was, what do I need to tell my story? Like, what what places do I need? What people? What kind of cultures? That kind of stuff. And from there, I, I start very small and begin to work outward. Uh, but again, it's, it's like you said, you lay a groundwork first. You, you don't put your walls up before your concrete dries, to use a, something here in the South. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, very, it's very much that, what, did, what, do I, what, did, what is the, the basis? What are my foundations? What do I need at a singular point to tell my story? Okay. Uh, like for me, I, I cheat a little bit. I am I am kind of fatally focused on character development, character building. Um, so for me, the, the world is kind of like a, a Monet. Yep. It's it's pretty vague, uh, and I tend to let characters fill in a lot of the details. But I, I, I cheat in regards that I kind of have a world in mind when I go into a game that will help me easy answer questions. Like, this is very similar to Lord of the Rings, or this world is very similar to Constantine. You know, I have that thought in my mind. That's actually, I mean... You mentioned Lord of the Rings and Constantine. Like I know for myself, I was told that a good DM imitates great works. An awesome DM outright steals from it. Because <laughs> uh, there, there is so much of my world where I would look at like, you know, because I love fantasy. I look at, you know, Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, I'll even watch, you know, Critical Role, that kind of stuff. I go, well, that, that, that little snippet there, that's a cool idea. Let me take that. Let me change it, add my flair to it, and make it fit what I need it to do. And then we push it in. That becomes part of my world. Yeah, uh, I would add to that by saying one of the best pieces of advice that I could give people, and it's something I learned the hard way and got over over time, because uh, I struggled with it a lot, is um, no, there is nothing new under the sun, Yes, and that's okay. 
you can make something that is similar to something else and it can be different in minute ways and still be yours. It doesn't have to be 100% original because you're going to find there's something out there that has already been done or it's been done similarly. It's just, how is yours different? How is it yours? Like there is so much that as, as I was building and like ideas I had and working into my world, I would do something and then I would go and watch a show, read a book, and it would be almost that exact same thing. And it came up before me. I'm like, well, crap, if, if I leave this in there, they're going to think, oh, he's just plagiarizing. Now I'm like, I don't care. I mean, it's it's here. It, it's this. You, you know this reference? Cool. It's exactly like that reference. That Use that reference picture in your mind. That's what this is. Well, there are some, there are some tropes and ideas that are just proven. But, right. And you want to use something proven when you can, I would think. And it's not necessarily plagiarism, I wouldn't say, in, like, in the sense of running a game and a DM and everything. Um, it's just a good idea that's been proven out, and you're giving them an opportunity to experience. Yeah, it, it's, it can be very frustrating when you're trying to do that and somebody goes, uh, I know coming from an artist perspective, it's, it's frustrating when somebody goes, hey, that's just like this. And you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is like that. But this is how it's different. Yeah. Um, an example that I could use is, I'm going to uh, plug my own stuff here for a second. Um, in Stagande, it's based in Norse myth. Well, there's a lot of stories and comics and games and movies uh, I'm not going to name any specific ones, but you know, um, that are based in Norse myth. Well, you know, those, it's just like Greek and a lot of other popular myths that get focused a lot in media. They, they tell different views and perspectives on those old, uh, poems and old myths and stories. So the first thing that I set out to do was, um, how can I change this? How can I make it mine? And I was like, you know what? There's not very many stories that are about post Ragnarok. What happens after the cleansing of fire across the nine realms? And uh, there are a few about what happens afterwards, and that could divide into a whole <laughs> a sub tangent that I won't go into. Um, so I, I, I set off to do that, and I was like, well, how do I make this unique to me? Let's make it fester with cosmic horrors and abominations from across the stars. Because Vikings and cosmic horrors together are very comforting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what was it from uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, uh, Space Viking Magic? Was that essentially what we're talking about? Space here? Viking Magic. Space Viking Magic. I, I can definitely say, speaking to, to Brody's world building, because we had a Stagande campaign that was, not, uh, that was not cast or anything. It was almost three years long, I believe. Yep. Um, and I know uh, we at one point we're looking at doing a podcast series where we kind of like took that and we, you know, condensed it into little episodes and, you know, explained everything. So when we were going to do this, uh, Brody said, well, I'll bring you the production Bible <laughs> that he used when he was uh, doing the sessions. I was like, OK, cool. And I thought that was just a term until he showed up with this thing and it weighs like 20 pounds and it's like inch thick leather with pyrography uh, sigils and stuff on it and like steel rivets and i was a little intimidated to touch like go through this book i am currently writing it's called a history of fatera it's peoples and cultures it is a thick leather tome when i get it's, it's got like because i'm like crawl but after i get everything written in there i'm going to transfer it into an actual one of these like thick leather bound tomes like bro i've seen it it's beautiful i love that book so with with you guys both having that level of interest there uh and actually putting these things down in writing Tell me, how important is organization and consistency to world building? Uh, well, going off of that, um, it's just like you said, I made myself a lore Bible is what I called. And there, and a lot of media, like, you know, uh, like Star Wars, for example, or some you know other popular franchises, they have what's called a production Bible that uses um, what they refer to as canonical terms and things like that. I started out with a little um, faux leather bound book from Walmart and I got me some tabs, marked the tabs and I started taking notes and it, it took off from there. And it, it looks like the scribblings of a madman. <laughs> if you were to look at my original and I still carry it around with me, this is something that I would tell anybody that's interested in world building. 
sometimes inspiration strikes where you don't want it to, and oh, you're like, God, you yes. have nothing to write with. Carry around a little notebook with you, and when the inspiration hits, jot it down. Yep. Jot everything, even if it sounds like craziness, just jot it down because it may turn into something uh, fantastical later. And then you go, oh, hey, this is a great idea. Flip back a few pages, sc- scribble it down, scribble it down. Like for for mine, I have. Look, I have so many just random bits of paper and notebooks, and I'm finally finally started convincing Donna that's your thing. Like for my natural ones, I have it as a white seven subject college rule notebook with pockets in it. I've got one for like you know one for the the nation of Stornacor, one for Wildweir, one for Nasoria, the various areas in this one part of the world. I've, I'm writing down all the information I have about that because organization is key, and I've noticed that I I have a bad habit of I will build a nest. And I think I'll get everything I need and I'll forget something. Yep. Which is why I've I've had characters I've renamed like four or five times. Been I've there. Had, I've oh, had what f- gets me is when the players catch you yes. renaming. Oh, God. It's like I thought that character's <laughs> name was such and such. I'm pretty sure that was another guy. Yeah, that was that was his twin brother. This <laughs> that, 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 that was Bobbert. This is Robert. Um <laughs> or the, the I made the joke about in the in Ilf the Lost, the land of the high elves, I renamed the same forest like three times. <laughs> so no, that's just a grove of this forest. This is the actual overall. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's another thing. It's okay if you make mistakes as a DM. You can say, "Hey guys, that was my. I didn't have my notes with me at this point. So now I have a. I have my my DM's bag. I have a DM bag for every game I run. There is the there is the trapper keeper that has the story and the notes, and it just I have a bag for every game I run. I only have one game that I'm running right now. But for me, I'm I'm keeping notes in my phone. I have a, a notes section in my phone, and one of those is just a titled Saturday game. And if you were to go through those notes and read them, you would think I was completely insane because the only context that ties them together exists inside my head. Yes. Uh, so if anybody like finds my phone, if I happen to die unexpectedly, you guys please erase that. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't want to see what happens. Actually, that's actually actually funny because I have caught myself doing that. Like I like you said, inspiration or something, or as I'm writing a note. I will write down three or four words that to me make sense. But like somebody goes, Moffat, why, why do you have written here frog in tuxedo with gun? What does this mean? Why does this like, Oh, that this long exposition they go, okay, that makes sense. This is still weird. You wrote it this way, but that <laughs> it is amazing what you can make sense, make, make sense in a fantasy role playing yes. game context. Yes. Uh, I was al- almost afraid that James would say that uh, I handed him the Necronomicon when he looked at the look on his face when I handed him that lore Bible. The weight, the feeling that I got in receiving that book, that that's pretty close. Because I was like, okay, now I'm, I wasn't nervous about it you know, transform- it translating this. <laughs> it has what? It has a lock on it, too. Do you remember yeah, me oh, yeah, showing you how to unlock it? Yeah, you had to teach me how to open the <laughs> freaking book. Why do I just imagine like the Book of the Dead from the old the, the Mummy movie with Brendan Fraser? You just have to put it in and turn yeah, the combination. It has a turn. Oh, God. That to, is- with a little leather strap. Well, I brought it back to him recently because um, he was going to do some stuff with the information in there. And uh, I remember bringing it back and thinking, okay, well, you know, we'll burn some sage, clean the house now. Um, now that the book's out, we can get back to normal. You mentioned that my, my world actually has, it's get back kind of an interesting thing to world building. I love the, the concept of the, the pen is mightier than the sword, the written, that the written word has power. It's, it's the whole basis of you know, like wizards and their magics. Well, in my mm. world, there are several evil tomes that have powers. And because I am this level of DM, I am writing those tomes. Now, it's going to be like weird, like, you know, drawn sigils and circular things and scribblings of nonsense. But you have the Clofic Infernum and then the Orcus Maleficarum, which are two of the evil books I'm working on because they're in the games currently. <laughs> so these are those are a couple of really intricate little details, right? Yeah. That kind of set the world apart. What would you guys think is your masterpiece detail? that you have put into a world that you have built that would set it apart from another setting? Something that just kind of is a characteristic that you're very proud of in a world that you have built that you feel like you may have brought to light outside of the light it may have seen in history somewhere. Uh, I, I guess maybe with mine is the central theme. It's a story that takes place after Ragnarok. It's... Uh, what does the nine realms look like afterwards? Because the problem I had with I'm gonna I'm gonna go back in time a little bit. 
Um, <laughs> back to the origins of Stagande <laughs> some 12 years ago. Yes, it was that long. Um, <laughs> it went through many iterations. Like the first one was like, well, with the Norse gods still alive, like Thor, Odin, Freya, Frigg. Um, and the problem kept running into was like, these are, you know, these characters have a finite end. You know, these, their stories have been told. And I'm like, this isn't what I want to do. This is, I'm having too much trouble being constrained by something that pre-exists. So I was like, let me, let me take a step back, a fresh look. And it was like, I still want to play in this setting. This is, this speaks to me. I love this aesthetic. I love the culture, um, like Viking history and Norse myth. So I was like, well, I did research first, which is uh, another th- piece of advice I would give to everybody. If you're going you're gonna to do something that's not completely original, that but that belongs to a specific culture or a group of people, do your research. Well, to be fair, even as someone who like, because my, my, my entire world is 98% home. Like I've, I've taken other parts, but I've still done research because I want ver I want various lands, various places to have certain feels. Like in one of my world in my world's like Sahara Desert, it's called the Atarak. Atarak is a derivative of the Arabic word for hot. Which it's kind of a weird thing. It just you you named it you called it the hot desert. Yes, I did. <laughs> but when you hear the Atarak Desert, okay, that kind of sound it sounds but yeah. Also, I love the fact because there's someone I don't know if many people realize this. In, in the Nordic culture, Ragnarok does not mean the end of the world. Mm-mm. And it, it was really, I think it's just, it's the end of the gods. The twilight of the, the gods. The twilight of the gods. And people think, well, Ragnarok happens, the world ends. No, no, no. There are things that happens after. Like, there are prophecies that include after Ragnarok. This is what I discovered when I went and, as part of the research part, I picked up, I have several copies of the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda, oh. um, the Havamal. Uh, which is Odin's words of yep. wisdom. I, I have all of this stuff in various iterations that I've read numerous times, and I use those as reference. Like um, I go back to them and I lo- look at names. So like, okay, well, what is this character? How do they uh, how do they relate to some of these events that happen in the Norse myth? Um, I use those as my framework, and I was like, okay, what poems, what stories happen after? And there are several. Yeah. And they usually lead into like um, uh, stories about actual Vikings that existed in real world yeah. history, um, because these are all stories about people that were passed along by word of mouth. They didn't do a whole lot of written no. text in their history and culture. But I was like, okay, I'm gonna do mine post Ragnarok. Now I have so much room to play with, and that's when I started building and. When you start with a little nugget like that, it can just spiral into a rabbit hole of possibilities. I think that's originally what led to my creation of, of, of my world was the fact that I had all these stories and things I wanted to do, but no other, like, they wouldn't work in Feyrun. It wouldn't work in Galarian. It wouldn't work in any of these other already preset worlds. Right. And so I just went, well, to hell with it. I'll build my own world. Yeah. And it's it started literally as one city, and it began to build out to a nation, then it built out to a continent. And it's because similar to you, my idea was what happens if during this great titanic battle for creation, a something happened that literally shattered a continent? What would the remnants of this be? What what effects would it cause? And so that's why it, it literally my it was an ancient continent that a this platinum star slammed into and it shattered it. So you have like various things that that are they're still happening because of it, various things that exist. And it's just, it's this, my, like my story now takes place thousands of years after, but the effects of that are still being felt. So you mentioned something there, and I want us to talk about this a little bit. Um, creation. I know uh, I've been watching some creation myth uh, videos and things, doing a little research on that. Uh, creation myths are wild. Like yes. they are so out there. Um, I've been watching that because here at the Hive, we're about to go into our world building for the Hives campaign game. Which I love the fact that the, the you got the two guys who in the like the little back and forth, our deities are basically diametrically opposed to each other. I love that. That's great. So, yeah. So that's one of the things <laughs> I was going to bring up is uh, we have kind of a, a very loose uh, creation myth that we're going to start from, which is basically this supreme type being finds this dying world, this dying universe, uh, plane, as, if you will. And from that... All of the store DMs have a 
deity character that will be in the game. And we're literally going to get together in those characters and do world building. And yeah. I think in about two weeks. So as far as creation myths go, um, what do you think is either like one of the most interesting that you've heard or, you know, most out there uh, creation myth or possibly something that you've taken inspiration from? I know you, you mentioned the, the whole Ragnarok thing. Oh, I'd have to go into a deep dive to try to find something like that I've personally read or come across that was like, wow, that's super unique in terms of like, or like creation of the universe. One of the things that I've seen, like just actually studying creation myths is after a certain point, the creation myths all start to kind of overlap and blend into each other. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of crossover in that, which I found really interesting. I mean, if you're talking about like real world, you see that a (laughs) lot in uh, ancient, uh, culture, ancient religions, and it's like there are so huh. many flood stories. It's not even funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've watched and listened to and kind of read and researched a lot about the Anunnaki, and I think that that's a yeah. really interesting group and kind of creation yeah. myth. The, there's a lot of the the beings from beyond the stars, the beings who who came down to the mortal plane, and uh, I, I know yours yours is a post apocalypse Ragnarok. Now, does it take place in like true Midgard? Is it Yes, the the nine realms are. They were washed in the fire of Surtur that was cleansed, and it started anew. Uh, they are one hundred percent the same realms as in the myths, albeit uh, a little different. But it is the same Midgard. It is the same realms. And you you mean you'd have to think, well, the gods all died. Well, I want to give a little bit of a spoiler. I, I, I'm sorry, I thought one of I thought there was a couple that actually survived past that, but I'm not going to. Yeah, I don't want. There are a few, yeah. and they met one of them in the previous campaign. <laughs> That's when they found out that they're not actual gods; they were just very powerful beings that mortals worshipped as gods. Kind of like how I like Caldheim, uh, the Magic the Gathering Vi- Viking, the Nordic set. They they were not so much. They you got the sense these weren't really like you know deity god level things. They were just extremely powerful individuals. Now, there is a, a facet of this that I use, and uh, it is the cornerstone of my setting, and it's that Yggdrasil is the center of the cosmos, and on its branches rest more than just the nine realms. There is an infinite amount of worlds out in the multiverse, and Yggdrasil touches all of them. So that is my, my way to go, <laughs> hey, we can link stories and cool. travel yeah. to somebody else's uh, realm. Like I, I, I know with Fatera, I I took the whole because true creation stories are are difficult. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Aru Elendil singing creation, you know, or the Judeo Christian in the beginning. I'm like, okay, how about this? And again, I I set this, and then I went and listened to Mercer's uh, Exandria creation thing. I'm like, well, <laughs> shit, because my thing is the the world Fatera existed before the gods. Mm-hmm. The gods arrived to this primordial sphere of just like chaos and destruction, and the gods tamed it. Mm. But then, as they begin to like, they begin to sing the songs of creation and create the various races. They were they were beginning to affect the natural flow of the world, and then as a response, the primordial forces birthed the titans. So, kind of a almost a uh, a Grecian influence of the ancient titans being to rise up against the current gods, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, like, there was the, you know, the, the the battle of the gods, the arrival of the usurpers, Asmodeus and the betrayal, uh, the final battle of the gods. Then after, you know, uh, there was the usurpers were released and cast into the abyss, became the demon lords. I took from the, the Catholic tradition where Asmodeus was thrown into hell and he cratered hell, creating the nine levels. Uh, then at the end, the gods went, our presence here is too great. We're going to leave and create the celestial gate. And there's this whole yeah. big, yeah. Uh, to answer your question, James, um, the 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 deities in, in Stagande are what I call uh, the old gods. And you may think, okay, that sounds awful eldritchy. It's like, not necessarily. Um <laughs> The deities that I set out to create, because I, uh, that was one of my struggles too, is I wanted to make my own pantheon. And I was like, well, how can I make this very Brody-like? <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to call them the old gods. 
Makes sense. They were here long before the nine had any living beings on them. They were the ones that fostered such life because any world that rests on Yggdrasil's branches is like fruit. It grows on the the world tree. That also means the fruit eventually has to die. Correct. (laughs) And there are forces that prune said worlds from the world tree because not every fruit comes to fruition. Yep. Um, so this is some foreshadowing. Uh, the old gods are basically they're entities that are so beyond mortal creatures is that you can't interact with them like you can gods and deities in like traditional D and D. They would look at you as if you're a speck of dust. Yes. Like you may like in D and D terms, you can draw on their power. They won't notice it. They will not care. You can call upon them for aid. They might answer. If they answer in fully and you see an avatar of them, oh, buddy. Speaking of that, actually, uh, was I, when I was setting my usurper, like usurper gods for this game, the, the Demon Lords, the amazing miniature you painted for me, by the way, is now one of my usurper gods. It is a <laughs> Demon Lord. In fact, it is Athmanox, the, the usurper god of fire and bone. I love it. Uh, but so, but yeah, Pan- Pantheons were fun because I, I, I'll be honest, because I love mythologies, I will get so deep into Pantheons and it doesn't, it, it's like, I've got, how many gods do you have? I have 37 gods. Uh, no, uh, like my World of Fate Terra, you, I have the, they're, they're, the, they're called the, the 12. They're the 12 main deities. You have the three elder gods who arrive first, but then from the void, they called forth the other gods. And then you have the nine usurpers, this, that, and the other. But uh, you mentioned those that dwell beyond because my thing is they walked out of the void. Well, the cataclysm that shattered the continent, the platinum star that fell was a piece of the gate to the void. That connection to the void was manifested and slammed into the world, Mm. which means their connection to the void is gone. That doesn't mean things don't exist in the void around them. Mm. And, you know, it's like you, there are, you can make packs with these entities that exist beyond the void of Feterra, but maybe you really shouldn't want to that, that kind of stuff. Like they, they were, that's the similar thing. But yeah, pantheons, I know from experience, I can, you could get so far into pantheons. Like, yes, this is the God of this random emotion and things. And basically, when you're, when you're building Brody, cause I, I had this problem a lot. What limitations, like when do you go, okay, this, I've gone too far down this rabbit hole. Let's, Let's back up. This was enough. This was good. Let's move on to something else. Do you ever come to that moment where you're thinking, okay, I am literally designing the, the placement of the trees in this forest. We don't need to do this. Let's back up some. I had that problem a lot. <laughs> and I I have a few people. They know who they are. Um, uh, a select few that, will, that are privy to reading things. I'm like, how does this look to you? Does this sound fun? Does this sound cool to you? And they go, this is way too much. I'm like, way too much how? And he goes, you put way too much information into this. Back off a little bit. I'm like, but, but, but. And it's like, well, you don't have to go that deep into it. And this is like another piece of advice I would give to people. Um, you can go as deep as you want or as light as you want. Yes. It, it doesn't matter. It is up to you. And uh, your players can also help you. Uh, flesh out things more like you don't have to be totally secretive about everything i mean you can as part of the fun is discovery yeah especially for players because because seeing their faces light up and are going <gasps> when you reveal things in game is such a good feeling for a dm i'm very interested in the world building that we're doing in the kind of players helping form the world aspect of it because our our dms are going to be around the table like and we're literally going to hammer out <laughs> like domains and stuff. And then they will be able to build from that. So we're literally going to be gods around the table of creation. That, Correct. That's, yeah, looking forward to that. that <laughs> I mean, it, I don't, I don't really know of anyone that's ever done it that way before. And it could be a horrible mess. It could be. I don't think it will be, <laughs> you know, cause the, the caliber of DMs are going to be around yeah. the table. I trust. I feel like this is going to be a good thing, but as far as I know, it's never been done like that before. Creation is messy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> as as an android once said uh, <laughs> uh that's you, a story for another time you you mentioned something about the players when i when i first sat down for the natural ones with fate terra i had the general overview of the world i had the area they were in specifically was about 80% set 
But I've discovered that as they've played into it and as I've built the world around them, as, as they have helped build the world, because they've done things that I was like, man, that's really cool. That's better than my idea I had. I'm going to use your idea instead. <laughs> mm-hmm. How often do you find, you know, that, that that's for you, Brody? Because I, I, I'll i be honest, usually mine is about a 70% mine, 30% my players. What percentage do you think is, okay, this was what I intended and, oh, no, that's much better. We're going to scrap this and use that instead. I have found myself going back and changing things a lot. Since we started our second Stagande campaign in 2020 and then <sighs> COVID happened, yeah, we have been on a two-year hiatus, which has been a pain. During that two years, I was able to um, find a comfortable homeostasis of my lore. I went back and I changed things. Some of it's going to be subtle and minute changes that won't be noticed. And some of it will be a little, little taken to get used to. Unfortunately, the gold standard now that most DMs are held to is people like, you know, Matt Mercer or Brennan Lee Mulligan. Yeah. Did you watch the, they were talking about the Xandria, the EXU, where Matt said, look, Xandria is always changing. I'm still making up new things. And Brennan literally held up the book and go, what do you mean Taldore is changing? Yes. This is pretty finite, Matt. I mean, this is pretty final here. That tangent that Brandon went on was great. Yes. Um, Look, you get just Brennan Lee, I mean, Brennan Lee Mulligan's any tangent he goes off is amazing. uh, When I went back and and had that time period to change things and I was like, okay, I'm happy with this. Don't touch it anymore. Leave it alone. Move on to something else. I have been told numerous times by several close friends like this is good don't change it (laughs) move on to something else and then you can expand from there to make closer to your point i have had nuggets where my players is like uh this would be a cool thing and i'm like subtly glancing at them from across the table and then going writing writing a small note to make uh add this later uh like when when my natural one game began i actually was using a uh it was a pre-made creation myth it was from a book called uh like tells the righteous basically it was a whole and i was using that one but then as my story is evolving as my games are, i'm like okay this is working so i need to start and i started changing it subtly at first and then one day before i started filming i said i goes okay guys boom here's the new creation mythology here are your deities here's this that and the other but i did it in such a way that they went okay cool so instead of this god i'm doing it easily flowed into it and now I have my own custom homebrewed pantheon creation mythos and everything. Now that doesn't mean I didn't take from like one of my favorite things is I have the I have a goddess of inspiration, madness and luck. The cool thing is uh if you're referring to her like for like in terms of inspiration, this kind of stuff, you call her by her name. If you want to invoke her for luck, you refer to her as the lady. <laughs> because if if you called her name and wanting to get luck on your side, it never said it was going to be good or bad luck. Oh, so you were you invoke her as the lady and just ask for her blessing upon the game. That's a double edged sword. Yeah, so that was I know. Yeah, oh, yeah, lady luck. Ha ha ha! But still, it was a cool little way to bring <laughs> that into. I like that. Uh, yeah. Going back to, I keep using mine as a frame of reference because it's, it's easy for me yeah, to um uh, has that as my basis. Um. So something, one of my proudest moments in my gaming career and that involved Stagande was in the first campaign throughout the entire beginning. It was the, the world that they knew was not called Midgard. It was called something else. I'm trying to remember what it was called. I think it was, it started with a T and throughout the whole game, it's like, okay, it's like Viking adjacent. And they just thought that was like the aesthetic. At some point during the game, I, I believe it was an all-day session we played at James' house. It yeah. was for somebody's birthday, and they requested all-day D&D, which is one of our favorite It was like everybody, do. that's what everybody wanted for their birthday was all-day D&D. So we did it a few times a year. Like, I believe Missy cooked breakfast. We got there at 8 a.m. Yep. Oh, wow. and played till like midnight that night. We literally had three meals around the D&D table. Oh, that's awesome. Like, we had bathroom breaks. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I planned uh, enough notes to cover the whole day, and that was the that was the day that, um, as we were nearing the end, y'all had found some kind of ancient temple, and y'all were going through it and discovering oh, things, this. and y'all were looking at, it, and there was like these ancient carvings and murals on the walls with like faces and deities, and they were depicting something, and 
everyone has gone through there. And I remember it was you, it was Casey, it was George. And George, George has been mentioned several times on this show. Um, uh, we got to get George on at some point. We have to. <laughs> As they were going through it, they were like, wait, wait a minute. This looks... And I was watching them as they were putting the puzzle pieces together. And George blurted out, this is Midgard. This is, is this post Ragnarok Nine Realms? <laughs> that was the day we figured it out. Yeah, and you, you pulled a Shannara Chronicles. Yeah, and everyone looked and I was, I was so excited because everyone had a genuine look of like, like shock and awe. And it was like. This is it. This is why I do this. I, I had a similar moment with my natural ones, and it's kind of a cool way to segue into the topic that I, th I love the most when it comes to world building. There was an NPC. This is, this. by the way, folks, as we're filming this, tonight is our natural one game, and this could be, first of all, this is the, first, this is the one year anniversary Congratulations, of the natural ones man. of this game. That's awesome. And there's a chance that tonight will be the, the end of this first chapter. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, so there, it's this character. They've just they they knew the character as his last name Zytheron. Well, it's been following him. They've been hearing his name over and over. And they get to this one place with the elves, and they've befriended the king. They've done work for him. They've you know uh, there's a queen. They've never met this, that, and the other. And they find out that well, the queen, while a member of this noble house who was married into the the royalty, was adopted. And they're talking to the former head. And and she's like, oh yeah, she wasn't uh, whatever the name is. She was it was a different name. Uh, you see her. She looks. She goes. What was what was her name before we changed it to ours? I believe it was Zytheron was her name. And everybody around the table just went, what? <laughs> we gotta go. We gotta go now. And it's, I was just <laughs> like, yes, because they they were pulled into the story. And but NPCs, I I love making NPCs. I love when my players attach to to like to a favorite NPC. Uh, and now that we have the man himself, first of all, Orvidi. I love Orvidi. I love the scene <laughs> where they met him. They're just like, this dude's insane. Just crack. It's okay. I just, yeah. But for the, I think the one that my guys have attached to is the, it is the tavern owner from the first place where the, the game started. And that it's the, the, the dwarf Haggerty. Uh, but my question is what, where did Orvidi come from? Like what, what was his origin points in both in game and then in your creation of, him? you know, like right off the bat, I didn't like Orvidi. To begin with, oh, you, you, he had to you grow me on know. me. He had to grow on me, but he has. Uh, I do believe there was a moment where you looked across the table at Matt and you were like, I don't like him. We're not staying here. And yeah, they, I remember that. Matt was like, well, it's a little too dangerous to go out at night in this place. And you're like, mm. uh, Orvidi came from, I can't, I can't reveal too much about it because Orvidi in does progress. have some things. Well, let, let's that, go from let's go from uh, you as as the as the dungeon master making his personality, making the the interactions with your players. Let's go with that. Where did that come from? Oh, I wanted him to be absolutely bonkers. <laughs> like when they first met him, he was uh, they heard about him and they heard uh, through I believe Casey's character Aaron that there was a guy that was exiled from the town, and they were like, "Well, why would he be exiled?" and the first rumor that y'all were told is that he performed experiments that were uh, frowned upon. <laughs> and so they exiled him and they were like, okay, well this dude sounds, he sounds a little questionable. Shady as hell. That's what, that's what I thought. Shady <laughs> as hell. Let's go find him and talk to him. Uh, I, I don't really know why y'all stumbled across him. I'm trying to actually remember how that came about. If I if I remember correctly, they were they were traveling through the woods and they uh, they happened upon this like his his home, this this building was That's it. Y'all yeah. stumbled stumbled across Literally his house. Literally stumbled, yeah. And it happened to be that guy. I think we got attacked by some werewolves on the road and we Y'all heard him. Yeah. And yeah, we wound um, up running and that's where we that's where we ended up. He I found y'all uh, yeah. walking so with a lantern. By, by the way folks, I want to cuz the if you haven't watched it, this it's amazing how they they literally knock on the door. They are invited in, they open it and there is a man in a plague doctor's mask. What what was he doing Brody exactly when they first met him? Uh there was a dead body on his his kitchen table and um the first thing they said is there's a body there and he goes what body? <laughs> Yeah. There's now a this, dead body here? This is why I didn't want to spend the night. <laughs> and then slowly proceeded to, while everyone was watching him, uh, try to stuff the body outside the back door. Just 
Just literally, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like kicking the body out the door. There's nobody out there. Pay uh, no attention to that body. Now, as myself, I have to ask, has has he ever removed the mask? He has not. That's what I thought. Uh, there was an attempt to see what was beneath the mask uh, twice, actually. I believe <laughs> uh, Xander's character tried to look and see wh- what was underneath his mask. And uh, James' character, Cash, also got very close to him and learned a little bit about him. He smelled like lavender, which is used by plague doctors to cover up the smell of death yes. and other things. Literally, there were like things that I know you would show in the nose. I just yeah. rewatched that episode day before yesterday. <laughs> and so far, there's been uh, no uh, success in trying figuring out who he is or what he is. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, he came about because I wanted a kooky character, and that's perfectly fine. There is a lot of horror in my game. Yes. and you have to counterbalance that with lightheartedness or a little bit of humor. It, it can't be grim, dark all the ways. Um, so he's also a character that I was like, I'm going to have fun with him. I have, there has to be NPCs that like, these are my fun ones. Let me, let me slip their shoes on and just yeah. get crazy. I think one of the ones like, cause uh, Haggard, he was, he was what I call the, uh, the point of contact. NPC. He was the one where they first met him. He kind of gave the original ideas of the story and this kind of stuff. Now it grew from that, and there was the whole thing where we didn't it wasn't being like streamed. It was the point where they were playing darts, and everyone kept rolling natural ones, and Haggerty kept getting hit with the darts. Like at one point, he's trying to walk up the stairs, and that one. <laughs> uh, but the the one that was kind of the weird one was um, Billy the Hill Giant. Uh, it was it was a random NPC that came across. I was not prepared for because I was ex- I was it was what I call the it was the lighthouse story where I did this whole this like dark cursed lighthouse where my story I had them going to the city first then going to the lighthouse after some stuff had happened. They went nope we're gonna climb the cliff go to the lighthouse. Okay um I just start like <laughs> <laughs> and they come across the hill giant named Billy or as a oh his name is Billy. And <laughs> apparently Billy came to play because he rolled three nat twenties in that one combat, and it was ridiculous. But yeah, it's and it's there's also the the unintentional NPC that they latch onto. Those are also I have a whole game right now that is driven by an unintentional pair of NPCs. I, I have one that his name it was it was a Gerbs game. Uh, they were sneaking through. They came across a lone kobold by himself. And the whole thing, I was supposed to attack the kobold. The, no, they approach and begin to talk to the kobold. Like, okay, I'll make a roll for this, crow, this kobold. How smart is he? Like, what is his whole big deal? Natural, you know, natural critical success. Okay, so now uh, this kobold was ostracized because he is actually a kobold savant. There was a, there was, he drank a potion that actually gave him a higher brain function, this, that, and the other. And that is the birth of Daniel Kobold. Daniel Kobold. <laughs> became a big, became a big, important NPC. He became the treasurer of their entire compound but yeah it all started with just a random we're going to talk to the cobalt okay well how let's how important is he natural 20 <laughs> super important apparently well, let's make let's he, he let's give him a story now there's there's uh there's so much i want to say and i can't because they just haven't yeah, gotten there yet soon soon <laughs> there is an npc it's going to be coming up soon that i'm so excited for them to meet is you're going to think oh like Docker really seems like the cream of the crop. Like, no, just wait. Just wait. I'll have to admit, one of my favorite NPCs to interact with in the Stagande game is Aaron's sister. Captain Rowena? Yes. Yeah. You I, sweat yeah. literal bullets at it's the table. It's funny. It's funny watching him. When- it, I'll be honest. Like, I think I'm actually intimidated <laughs> by, by Rowena. He, he uh, see, this is another thing, too, that can relate to world building. Uh, Rowena was not a character of my design. Rowena was part of Casey's backstory. Oh, cool. When I I tasked my players, it's like, okay, give me, you know, when you create your character, when you do your backstory, give me some characters and so, some NPCs and, you know, places and like what, what their relation is to you. And he, one of his NPCs was his sister and he gave me a little bit of a bio. And so I was like, okay, she's captain of the guard. And um, I just rolled with it, and he gave me her personality, and it it kind of just uh, evolved from there. And that's that's one of the ways that you know, in relation to tabletop games, is your players can help you. Oh yeah. And uh, like I had NPCs already made for this town that they're in, 
and it helped expand that by giving me more to play with. And um, but it also helps to connect that character to the town. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because I, I have a similar thing. I have one where my my dragonborn character Akara did his backstory where his mother had died, but his father was a member of the military, high ranking officials, or he went to the military. This and the other. And then uh, the next time they see his father, he is an ambassador. But why did his dad leave the military? And but his dad is still that very stoic military figure. So when he tries to interact with him, there's there were no emotions. Until uh, I think it was the I think it was the I think it was Montel's character the had actually viewed him in his you know in his private room afterwards, and he was you know he was he was crying he was and you're realizing okay which I love that by the way when I did that the the player who was you know it was Ben's character he was like very ha my dad's this this and this I I show him that his dad's actually showing emotion and Ben goes oh God no like yeah you feel like a right a hole don't you buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's it's his, this entire new uh, relationship is evolving with his father, and I cannot wait. Oh to God, I love sto- that. Story I love reasons when I cannot go any come out further. Like yes, but it's yes, it's great. Probably one of my favorite examples of being flexible with your NPCs and in, in world building. Like this is the intention you have, but the characters do something, and you kind of go with it. That had a huge payoff for me, and I'll let Brody talk about this. Was Hawk. In the original Stagande campaign, uh, still one of my favorite all-time NPCs. That that at one point we just all kind of decided, yeah, we need to kill this guy, except for one person. So <laughs> Hawk began as a character that um, Hawk was predetermined by me. He was a villain. Okay. He had a a reason. Uh, his his entire race of people were dying. They they were affected by a a divine curse. And they were just, they were unable to bear children. So their species was dying out, literally. So as a way for him to seek revenge and get back, because in his mindset, he he thought, if we're all going to die, then everybody's going to die. He's like, it's not fair that us as a species have to die out because of something that happened millions of years ago. Almost a Thanos-like idea of that, you know, for the betterment of one, you know, the others have kind of a, a balance type thing. Well, a little we're bit, dying, yeah. Everyone's dying. He set out on a very well-thought-out, calculated plan that he made a deal with one of the, uh, what I would refer to as the the other side of the pantheon of, of the old gods, and that is those that hunger. They are, as you would imagine, um, hateful abominations from beyond the stars. Yes, they, yes. There's no reasoning with them. They're, they're there to devour. Chaotic evil. They're the true emphasis of chaotic evil. Yeah, they are what you would call um, uh, Lovecraftian deities. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but to get to the point... Hawk made a deal with one of these and he set out to make friends with the party because he latched Completely on. Completely fooled everyone. everyone. Wow. We were investing in this NPC as an ally. Like he lived in our home with us. <laughs> he, he specifically grew attached to Xander's character because Xander had a weapon. He had a device that Hawk needed to complete his plan. Oh. And so there were moments and uh, George's brother, Josh played in that game every now and then he would hop in when he had time. Did not like Hawk (laughs) knew something was wrong. And he's like, y'all should not trust him. He shot him. Matter of fact, the first time they met, he, uh, he had a bow and he just shot him from a distance. And everyone's like, why are you attacking Hawk? And he's like, I don't like him. I don't trust him. There is something wrong with him. Played it off. Everybody was like, eventually Josh kind of calmed down a little bit. He was like, okay, maybe he's not so bad. Because he would do things for the party. He, The party at that point in the story had made friends with uh, some NPCs, and they had the, basically their own hometown. Yeah. And there were kids in the town. Hawk would play with oh, the kids. No. Hawk did things around the, their he town. He was a part of our group. They loved him. So when the moment came that he got Xander's character alone, he stabbed him. And he stabbed him in a way that would paralyze him and then left him to bleed out while everybody else was asleep. The weight, Took what he needed and left. The weight of this situation, we had just finished this really like intense arc, right? And everybody is emotionally drained. Like the players yeah. are emotionally drained from this arc that we just finished. And we're at home. 
and we've just had this meal together, right? And Hawk did not come down and eat with us. So if I remember right, I think Xander was bringing him a plate of food up, or something like that, and he opens the door, and Hawk just shanks him in the door, pulls him in the room, shuts the door. Xander's character laid on the floor poisoned all night, like on the brink of death. Wow. He 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 bled out one HP at a time. Bravo. And Hawk just like he came down, matter of fact, and was like, um, I'm not feeling real good. I'm gonna go take a walk. And they're like, okay. He's like, Well, where's Xander's character? And he's like, I think he just turned in early. Never questioned it. No one looked no for one him till morning. Wow. <laughs> no no one, one rolled insight, nothing. They they didn't have a need to. I had built that trust with that character, and Hawk slipped out. So, of course, we all wanted to find and murder this bastard oh, God. for what he had done. This is the point in the story where something happened that I did not plan for, and it kind of goes back to uh, an earlier episode talking about unexpected things. Yeah. Uh, I uh, was fully prepared. like, okay, this character's going to die. He's gonna, I mean, they're going to kill him. Because we intended on killing yeah. him. The whole party. They went to a big fight where um, they followed him to the site where he was t- to release a, a greater Eldritch spawn that was the servant of one of these things, and um, it was going to help him complete his plan. Uh, well, they get there, and a big fight ensues. Uh, by the way, uh, Hawk was a necromancer, so he could summon undead, and he had a whole bunch of undead they had to plow through to get to him. <laughs> Xander is very emotionally charged in this fight. Because he felt more attached to Hawk as a best friend oh, than anybody else. And it, the, the interactions they had had for the year, the year, this, the literal year this NPC had been with us. That's they had beautiful. had tons of interactions. Uh, matter of fact, I think Casey's character was the first one to find Xander's character the next morning. Yeah. They were getting ready to go do something else for the day, and they're like, where's Xander's character? Xander stayed quiet because he knew yep. what had happened. He was... At the table, just waiting, and then I remember thinking that night, I was like, "What is Xander okay? Do I need to talk to him? He seems real quiet tonight." <laughs> the player wasn't saying anything. I thought he literally had something going on, and I, you know, I wanted to talk to yeah. him. That, but then we find out, <laughs> no, he's just bleeding out on the floor. Oh, he's Brody's just heartless. That's what's going on here. <laughs> well, when they the fight ensued, uh, Xander was plowing his way through enemies to make it to Hawk. He finally gets there. The rest of the party's distracted. They're too busy fighting uh, undead giants and I other believe things. I was in an undead dragon. Oh, like, wow. inside That of. came later. <laughs> was that later? That was later. Not the same um, fight. Okay. Because Hawk had pulled air out all the stops to make sure that he could get his plan for, to fruition. Xander proceeded to just lay into him, got him down to um, zero HP. And I was like, all right, uh, I mean... I don't actually say, how do you want to do this? Yeah, but yeah. I was like, this is the moment. How do you want to do this? He goes, I knock him out. What? Subdual damage. Uh, oh. Everyone was like, what? He we goes, were the whole players and characters just taken aback. Xander goes, I knock him out. I'm like, okay. He goes, I take the butt of my weapon and I hit him in the temple. Knock him out. I was like, okay. I was like, there's no one to control the undead. They, they, they fall apart and y'all tie him up and that... The next session after that was y'all questioning him, and it was so emotional that oh, wow. people had like little tears. It, there was some rawness at the table, and it he basically laid everything out. Casey's character wanted to destroy him, like tear him apart, and he's like, we cannot trust him anymore. Like, I don't understand why you trust him. And Xander was like, I still see... There's something there's there. There's something yeah. good in him because... He was so uh, emotionally distraught over losing his people. He was willing to go that far. And so Xander took a complete turn with his character and was like, I want to help him. I want to help him find a way to save his people oh, wow. without resorting to sinking as low as to uh, aiding yeah. those that hunger. And he was so resilient about doing that too. Like it, it, the real rehabilitation of Hawk went on for probably the, the, the rest biggest of the, portion of that game. Yeah, the rest of the game uh, until finally. Like the, the lead up was over time. It took a long time to rebuild it. <laughs> and Casey was still adamant. Like, I don't. And matter of fact, in character, Casey's character was like, he became de facto leader. He was a Saurian barbarian, which okay. is like the lizard yeah. people. He like gets 
toe-to-toe with Hawk, looking down at him because Saurians are big creatures. And it's like, you step out of line once. You say the wrong thing. You look at one of us wrong. I will end you personally. And it was so intimidating that everybody at the table was like, ooh, I got goosebumps. <laughs> um, and he did. Hawk stayed in line. He aided them. And as much, like, they, there was a whole lot of, like, cold shoulder I, distrust. I have to ask because I, I, know, I know how stories work. Did he have the, uh, the redeeming sacrifice at the end of the arc? He did. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> there was a moment where he ended up helping them in a later story arc fight against um, another enemy. It was one of their, their greatest enemies, General Merrock. Yeah. Um, That's when Brody almost killed me in real life. <laughs> I did not. You were sick, and you demanded to stay at the table, even being sick. Um, but he did something. Hawk got upset because Merrock did something to the town that they had become yeah. accustomed to. He came in and had one of his subordinates kill basically all the town to prove a point to oh, the wow. party that he was not going to play with them. Hawk took that as offense. He got emotional, went and raised an army from a place called the Boneyard. Oh, like he literally raised? Yes. Oh, God. And wow. then marched on the place where Merrock was holding up. So much so that Casey's character was like, uh, right now I want him on our side and uh, we, we got to do something about him. So fast forward, he, he makes up to the point where Casey's character even is like, I trust you again. The big bad of the whole campaign revealed himself. They had to get through through this place and the bad guy could not be allowed to get through. Hawk held the portal open long enough for them to get through as the BBEG kills Hawk. As he's dying, he uh, uh, looks Xander's character dead in the eye and says, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. He, like, Brody gutted us in that scene because there was, like, so different from the original intention of the character when he built it. Um, And to see that get to transition and then us manage to recover and redeem that relationship, we were all so invested at that point, you know, a couple of years in. that after this campaign ended, we hounded him for months because we wanted a one shot where we went and got Hawk back from hell. <laughs> wow. Right. And you know, we, we bugged him enough that he finally let us do it. But it, instead of us, you know, Hey, Hawk's back. Um, we had that, that really, you know, moving moment where Hawk was like, I, I'm fine being dead. I, I want to be here. I don't want to go back there anymore. And like, it was just, it's so powerful. And it's an That's- example of, of letting your characters kind of edit oh, yeah. the world some is just awesome. It's an example of not railroading because I yeah. fully intended, all right, he's going to die yeah. because he's a, um, an enemy. And Xander chose to save him. And I was like, all right, let's see where this goes. This is exciting. Well, it's also an example of, as you know, of where the, the, the uh, villain, a big, bad, evil guy actually uh, brings so, because no, yeah, the, you set these guys here to be hated, to be, to be ended. Like one of my big games called the Electo game, uh, where there was uh, this this whole big story of like the fall of the ancient dragon lords, the dragons were no longer in the world, and the whole big thing was you had they were going to restore them, and the the villain that they kept coming across was they only referred to him as Malcolm, over and over again Malcolm worked for Malcolm this that, and the other, and then through process this game lasts for like multiple years through the process they learned that the dragons had another name for him, they called him Eggbreaker, because Malcolm was the keeper of the of the dragon eggs. And he decided to make a deal with the elder gods, and the cost was to shatter the dragon eggs. Oh! And the moment my players discovered that, it was no longer this guy's. No, no, it was fuck Malcolm. Yeah. Like they <laughs> they got deep into it. It they they went and called in every favor. They raised an army of dwarves, of elves, of men. Of they called in every race they could to a cell. It was called the Library of Aeons. It was this ancient, massive place. But it was just that moment of the villain bringing more emotion than any of the NPCs they met, and it's it's just a key. It's a, it's a key and important part of world building. It's not just the places, but the people you put in your world. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I think there's a, a short clip or from one of the current episodes of Stagon Day where Xander makes an offhand joke, and he goes, um, "Oh, yeah, it's just like Hawk. 
wait, no, he's dead. And James goes, oh, <laughs> yeah. looks at him. And no yeah. one is going to get it, but they will now yeah. after hearing this. Uh, and look, I could sit and talk about world building and character creation. It's, it's Yeah. But folks, it's one of those things that the moment you begin to do it, you will fall in love with it. and You will just keep wanting to do it. Much like we keep wanting to talk about it because there are so yeah. many emotions and stories attached to these places, to these characters, to these players that have played in these games. We barely even scratched the surface. There's a lot oh, left yes. on the table. We're going to have yes. to come back to world building. That that hey that definitely will have and now that we have the the Dark Lord himself among us for all time apparently <laughs> does this mean we're also immortal because our souls are tied to you is that how this works mm, we'll see <laughs> I don't I don't feel immortal I I kind of tether my madness a little bit so it doesn't permeate around me well let's go ahead and end the madness at least for today uh, <laughs> so uh, as always folks I am Kenneth Moffat aka Southern D and D across my various platforms I am James from the Hive I am Brody aka Elder Fenris. And no matter what you do, folks, no matter what stories or worlds you build this week, may they be the stuff of legends. And we also ask that if you if you love listening to our idiocies and to our various stories, and if we've helped you at all, please give us a five-star uh, rating. Go uh, follow me on YouTube. The very, Wherever you see us at, just like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell, whatever the... Uh, to quote the old gods of Appalachia, whatever social media ritual you must complete. Tell your friends. <laughs> tell your friends. If you don't like us, tell your enemies. Uh, but whatever you do, folks, as you interact, just be good to each other. That's the last thing I want to say on this. Later, folks. <laughs>